0: Welcome to Creative Life Hackers. My name is Ruthie
1: and I'm Lisa. We're your hosts.
0: In this podcast, we provide you with creative inspiration, support and community on your journey of building an independent and creative lifestyle.
1: Join us for talks with artists, musicians, gig workers, entrepreneurs and people who are actively authoring the stories of their lives we explore how they leverage their creativity in the pursuit of their dreams and share what they learned on their path to empower you on yours.
0: We're letting go of limiting narratives, taking our power back, and creatively life hacking.
1: Welcome back, everyone. This week, Ruthie and I are talking with Jonah Borsma about leadership, life coaching, and all the things that get in the way of stepping into your greatness. So if you're having any areas of your life where you're a little confused and not able to show up as the most confident, shiny, proud version of yourself, then you should really listen to this episode where we talk about the thoughts and beliefs that you might be able to excavate to uncover what's blocking you from stepping into this part of yourself. We also dive deep into meditation, the nature of reality, Joe Dispenza, so if any of these topics are making your ears perk up, then stay tuned.
0: Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Jonah Borisma, and he is a mindset mastery coach who specializes in helping millennial leaders find their confidence and purpose. He's also co-owner of Be Zen Wellness, which is a wellness company that encompasses yoga and oils and PEMF, um, electromagnetic therapy, and coaching. And I have known Jonah since high school, actually. We both hail from the great town of Grants Pass, Oregon. (laughs) And he was actually a senior in high school when I was a freshman. And he was the all-school body president of our small high school. And so my first, the time that I remember, like, noticing you was you were, you did a speech at our pep rally. Yeah, as the all school body president. He was, you know, in front of the entire school, giving us this pep rally speech. And I just remember him being very captivating. You're like a wonderful public speaker. And um, from that point on. Um, You know, I knew I wanted to be your friend, but as a freshman, it's just not really something that happens. But years go by, we work together at Dutch Bros Coffee and friendship has blossomed from there. And both of our paths have, I think, kind of flourished over the last several years. And so I'm excited to kind of dive back down into some of your roots on what has, you know, made you who you are today to be this coach for millennial leaders. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank <you>. Welcome. <laughs>
2: Thank
3: you. Gosh, I haven't thought back on the high school speeches in a long time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what you said. <laughs>
3: <laughs> These were fun, man. Wow. Getting up in front of the whole school and just hyping. That was what yep. it was all about. I loved That's it.
0: That's what it was all about. <laughs> hyping <laughs> since day one. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: Thank you both for having me here and, and giving me the opportunity to, to communicate with your audience and talk with you guys about all of this. It's going to be really fun and I'm excited. So Thank, thank
0: you. you so much for coming. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now as a Mindset Mastery Coach and then once we kind of have a framework of that, we'll go back a ways to see kind yeah. of how you there.
3: Yeah, back in time. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, like you said, I am a certified life coach working with millennial leaders to help them find their confidence and purpose. And really what I've found in going through like my coaching training and the different people that I've worked with and talked to is that there are so many people that are doing really well in life, right? Like they're holding down a job that they maybe enjoy, but they kind of want to take things to the next level or they're in a loving relationship, but there just seems to be like a missing piece or they are in a place in life where like things are satisfactory, but they know that there's something more for them and they just don't really know how to get there. And what I have realized, <clears throat> excuse me, is that, So many of the people that I've talked to and the clients that I've worked with is the missing link for them is just having the self-confidence to go after it, like just Mm. go after what they want. And for so many of them, I think there comes this place where they've become a bit stagnant, where they start to forget about the dreams that they maybe once had. Mm. And so I really just focus with these people, these millennial leaders that, you know, life is good, but they know it could be so much better. And that's like, that's my niche. That's where I want to help them take their lives to the next level and really just help them to achieve, achieve their dreams. And mm-hmm. to me, it boils down to having the self-confidence to really just go after what you want.
1: Yeah. Have you read yeah. The Big Leap by Gay
3: Hendricks, Jonah? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it, no.
2: Yeah, what you're describing is like what in his words he would call going from like the zone of competency to the zone of genius.
4: Yes.
2: Yeah, though from his perspective, and I I already know that like in it like self-confidence is like the short answer of like how you get there. But um, in his book he he, the analogy that he uses is like there's a table and it has like four legs of like unconscious beliefs. And usually I, I don't know if I'm gonna remember all of them, but it's like, you know, being afraid that if your friends and family knew who you really were, then they might not accept you or being afraid of, like, being too different from the tribe. Like, if you're super successful, but your friends aren't, then maybe they won't accept you again. Like, forget the other couple, but it's all about, like, things that you might not be, like, totally consciously aware of that are also stopping you from taking that big step, leap a yeah. towards your yeah. zone of genius.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know it's so interesting that's what I really find for so many people is that's really what it boils down to is Mm -hmm. we all have this kind of programming that we've grown into right like we all have different childhood traumas that we've experienced some may be really big some might be you know a little bit more minor than what others have had but Mm -hmm. we also have this societal conditioning going through the school systems and what like the norm is for having family and friends and All of these things that have become a program for us that we might not realize kind of stand in our way of really helping us push ourselves to achieve what we want to achieve. It's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, I feel like shame and guilt are like the really big players there. But also, you know, you mentioned like in your family or your school system, um, but there's also like religious messages certainly and like money is a big one that's like coming up for me around all of this especially when it comes to success I think a lot of us have internalized messages about money and for me being raised Catholic there's some statement about like it's easier for like the something to go through like a pin needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven or something so and like obviously kind of silly but 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 those are the messages that were near you know like being programmed at a young age when you're getting that from like all areas like that making money is bad and it's not safe and you're not going to be a good person and all of that Then like of course you're scared to take that like next leap towards doing your magnificent big thing because you might be afraid that yeah, you're going to suck now. Nobody was going to like you or
0: something. Like, yeah. You're a greedy person.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're suddenly, your moral compass is going to become like off kilter. How oh,
0: dare you desire more. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: right. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. Now we're in this time where information is just so available to us at all times. And it's kind of just constantly in our face, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so normal for, I mean, I would imagine most people our age in this, modern time, we have our phones available to us most of the time. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, so many social media platforms that we can use to receive and also put information out. And so along with that also comes new, different programming than what maybe you and I had had back in the, well, I'm an eighties kid, but maybe back in the nineties for a lot of listeners. Also like Mm -hmm. things have changed a lot. And so now we have so much information coming our way. That our our brains are just constantly taking in this input, and that also creates a lot of programming for ourselves, oftentimes really unconsciously.
0: Yeah,
3: we're in a really interesting time right now.
0: We are. Oh my god, I was with one of my friends yesterday, and one of the words that we used to describe just kind of how we were feeling and with just everything was just overstimulated. <laughs> as yeah. far as the feelings because they're just between the pandemic and the election and the the protests and just like everything um all the little things that are happening in between all of that um Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying everything mm-hmm. it's just been like over stimulated the forest fires I mean it's endless <laughs> yeah.
3: the list goes yeah. on and on <laughs> Yeah, on.
0: for real um and so it just yeah just feeling a lot right now Mm -hmm. Um, and it's impossible to really for me at least to feel it all because it's just so much so Mm -hmm.
2: but remembering um, that helps me like of just having a little bit of compassion because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's like why is everything hard like why (laughs) am I not focusing like why am I so stressed out And it doesn't even feel like that much is going on Maybe in my personal life, but it's like all of this collective stuff is like, it does take a toll on us and like mm-hmm. pandemic anxiety is real. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural yeah. upheaval, like necessary cultural upheaval, but upheaval nonetheless is yep. all that, yeah, that kind of weighs. Kind of
3: makes you wonder if you just, Left society went off the grid for a year. Like, what would happen to you in that year as you were so self-sustained and just like not taking on all of this input from directions What would happen?
2: Oh, so, you know, I actually came across a um, an Instagram post from Eric Godsey this morning, um, oh, who I think is, yeah, isn't he like one of the teachers for your Fit for Service?
3: Yeah, he is one of the coaches for the Fit for Service community. So I've gotten to gotten to learn from him for the last year and a half or so. It's amazing. Yeah.
2: So he I just pulled it up, but he had a really really interesting Instagram post um today and he just said that um he's starting to see this pattern and so he lists quite a few things, but I'll just I'll read some. So Um, Children who stayed with their families in London during the Blitzkrieg were less likely to have PTSD than the kids who left their family to stay in a safer countryside. Uh, Having a single close friend reduces your chances of having mental illness after a traumatic event more than 200%. Fish and Impala have been observed clustering into groups during earthquakes, wildfires, and break apart after. And this one's really beautiful. Um, one indigenous, In one indigenous society, when a member commits a crime, um, the society, I guess, surrounds them. And everyone who grew up with them shares a story that affirms or blesses those who act it out. Um, and finally, feeling lonely is more damaging to our health than air pollution, alcoholism, obesity, and smoking. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I love isolation, and I think that it can be so beautiful, but also the other truth is that we are deeply community-based creatures. And, you know, just from these little bits that he shared, I think, you know, point to this truth that, like, our mental health is, like, kind of dependent like we are dependent on each other in some ways
0: so perhaps new questions say the three of us and Brittany. yes society okay folk. all
3: right let's go topic it's really interesting i at the last bit for service meetup in lake tahoe Mm -hmm. Um, There was a a couple of guys that I was having conversation with. Uh, One of them is my buddy, Kyle Dow. He lives up in Canada. And the other is my other friend, David Cedar, who lives in Northern California. And they both are so fascinated with the idea of just having conscious community and essentially Mm -hmm. just finding a piece of property big enough to sustain you know, maybe 25, 30 people where everybody has their role within the community. And it Mm -hmm. is essentially a self-sustaining community that is not really having to rely on the systems that we are so used to. We're
2: making a commune. It, yeah, a exactly.
3: have <laughs> 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 to think about because every, it, it kind of goes back to mm-hmm. that tribal mentality where everybody has their responsibility and everybody comes together to lift one another up and mm-hmm. support one another because there aren't the external things to rely on. It's like you have the tribe and the yeah. tribe is who cares for one another.
4: Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: So yeah, I'm in. Let's go. I
0: love that. I'm I'm in. You guys, we would get so weird if we only. Yes. (laughs) Could you imagine?
2: Well, I feel like we'd be really productive, (laughs) but yes, (laughs) great. (laughs) Like, let's start the the morning seance, and now (laughs) keep (laughs) it.
0: Oh, a that, dance.
2: That my just- my just-
0: Daily dance parties, I think, yes. would be in the works. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so actually, I, I'm glad you said dance party because like just like what we were saying, you know, at the end of my last relationship um, where I had moved to a new place that wasn't like necessarily connecting to community and was feeling disconnected in my relationship. But like, really, I didn't realize I was looking for that connection until I discovered ecstatic dance. And at the end of Ecstatic Dance, it felt like a music festival where I like hadn't spoken with any of these people, but we just danced for a few hours and then we were all giving each other hugs. And it was like so it I it was like really good hugs, too, of, like I could just feel anyways. And then I just realized that that was like what I had been looking for the whole time. And um, that was like what I needed more than than anything else actually was like that sense of community and i think it's probably common for people i mean i've I've already done it again like looking for community and just re- solely romantic relationships when when really it's like a much larger um it's a it's a big job yeah <laughs> yeah too hard to put it on one person but anyways
0: so You know, kind of speaking of community a bit, going back to how you are specializing in working for millennial leaders, that is because you come from a community called Dutch Bros, and you um, really have a lot of experience coaching millennial leaders throughout the years already um, before you kind of took this more professional aspect of it. Um, Uh, And I think that's so cool that you have that. You know, it it is not like you just chose this niche because you wanted it. It's truly because you have I don't even know how many years of experience. (laughs) Lot, many.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, so I grew up around the Dutch Bros community. For those that don't know who I am, um, my family had started Dutch Bros coffee back in 1992. My dad and my uncle are the Dutch brothers, and so I grew up in this community and and it was really beautiful to be a part of that as a child because my dad and my uncle were both so goal-oriented. They were always dreaming really big and they were always seeking uh, guidance and inspiration through different motivational people. So. One of the examples examples I can give is I remember as a child, I was probably eight or nine years old and my family was taking just a, a weekend trip to the Oregon coast and on the drive to Brookings Harbor, my dad was playing Anthony Robbins cassette tapes um, that were all, if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, it, I'm kind of surprised because he's mm-hmm. just like such a big name in like the self-help coaching motivational world. And I just remember as a kid, like being so pissed off that he was playing that on the car. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, I was
3: like, what are we listening to? Really? But those were the things that were really instilled in me as a kid, a lot of, a lot of goal setting, a lot of leadership based mm-hmm. information coming my way. And I went to college uh, for a short period of time up at University of Washington, but really just felt like i was wasting my money because i didn't know what i was doing i was partying my ass off i i wasn't really feeling school at the time so i decided to come back to oregon and work for the family company again and it really didn't take long before i worked my way into management i was managing a 24-hour dutch bros location at the age of 19. and so it really helped me put all of these things that i had learned through through my childhood through You know, being involved in student government and leadership in high school, there was a lot of skills that I had gained through along the process and having the opportunity to manage people, I really learned a lot. Um, I learned how to adapt to each individual's needs. I learned how to communicate with people and adapt my communication style. I learned that I wasn't very good at what I thought I was very good at, at times. Mm-hmm. And I also got put in a lot of uncomfortable positions. In fact, Ruthie worked for me for a period of time. And w- there was one um, situation where I had to discipline Miss Ruthie Kelly and <laughs> <I> her <laughs> up. And I was like, so nervous to do it. I remember like we, we went outside of the stand. I think we went into my car because we yep. just... Like a little cracker box coffee shop so there's not really room to have private conversations in there so i think we went into my car and i had to like give ruthie this violation and ruthie was about to take off to like europe or something like a week later so she was just kind of like okay but i was so nervous to have this conversation with her and she was just so like oh jonah you're kind of shaking are you are you okay yeah i'm good i'm good (laughs) I had to have some uncomfortable conversations and at that point Ruthie was a friend of mine so that was very uncomfortable to try to discipline a friend of yours in the work environment but I had to Mm -hmm. learn quickly that there is a line that I had to draw and I had to learn how to develop some of those skills myself of how to approach challenging situations and so really having a lot of the lessons that I had learned the experiences that I had had at Dutch Bros Coffee were so helpful to get me to this point today. Um, I was the regional manager for the Eugene Dutch Bros locations for a few years. And shortly after Brittany and I were married, we had the opportunity to purchase the franchise from the company. So I took out a big fat loan and me and Brittany went for it. And I got to run and operate these locations with my wife for about seven years before we left Dutch Bros. And that just brought on a whole new slew of life lessons and my own development of leadership and communication. And really the things that I loved the most about what I was doing was working with my coworkers and these employees that I had had that did have aspirations, did have dreams, and maybe needed some assistance in helping them to reach those goals that they may have had. And that was my favorite part of the job was just like Mm -hmm. being there to help these people develop their own lives. Yeah. And so it translates so beautifully into coaching because it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. So I, I feel really fortunate that I had those experiences because it really did bring me to this point in my life today. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Also to anyone that hasn't been before, um, I feel like
3: as a customer
2: that has neither worked for Dutch Bros or been employed by whatever. I haven't I haven't been a part of the system, I've just been a customer. And the, the people that work there, um, like it's pretty obvious that they've gotten pretty good like professional training because they like every time, have, it's like, like the same, kind of customer service as like i think people expect from like chick-fil-a of like being really earnestly like interested and in, like what's going on with you and like showing a lot of compassion and kindness it, even just in like a drive-through copy setting it's it's really always a pleasant experience so anyways just an outside testament to that <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well i think that you know people that are at like that age when you're working at Dutch Bros, it's usually college age, mm-hmm. and or maybe right after college. And in those early twenty years, it's such a ripe opportunity for guidance and direction. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for anybody, I mean, man, I wish I had a life coach at that age, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just think that yeah, it's it's a really great time for it, and it's just your experience from the many years of when you the height of how many employees did you have at the height of employees and yeah
3: yeah i think we maxed out at the at the peak the most employees we had had at one point was just over 160. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: but i think on average towards that time it was more around 150 and um and it was you know really interesting to learn how to be the leader of a team like that. I I really had to (laughs) learn how to delegate some of my responsibilities and some of the things that I knew were needed to a lot of the other people within my company and Mm -hmm. really develop their leadership skills so that they could also be the leaders. And I really had just such an amazing team of managers and assistant managers and regional managers that like they were just also kick ass and everyone had so much passion and this eagerness to learn. And so I, I feel like I was really lucky with the team that I had had and, and me and Brittany both worked so hard to mm-hmm. really pour into these people so that there was this domino effect that continued to trickle down to our newest employees and then down to our customer base.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. People can feel that. So could you give an example? Cause I am curious of like how um, you're able to navigate like, catering to different people's personality. So we could, you could take it in a couple of ways, like, um, cause you are really good at talking to people. Like I've witnessed you in a variety of environments and I feel like you exude this like warmth and comfort and like safety. And, and I imagine, you know, that might've started probably earlier than Dutch Bros, but it comes through strong. And, and I feel like you are able to talk to a lot of different people. So yeah, how, how did you start to manage that with like so many different young people and their personalities and then, you know, taking a step further, like getting them to step into leadership roles or take more responsibility in leadership roles?
3: Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I'm not really sure if there was a place or time where I learned it. I've always kind of viewed myself as a bit of a chameleon Mm -hmm. in being able to talk to all different types of people and i think that probably started around my teenage years i i don't think i realized it at the time but i really do have this belief that everybody has something beautiful and unique about them and i think it's so important for all of us to have grace for everybody around us and i learned this i think through working at the dutch bros coffee locations that we really have no idea what people are going through. We really don't. And the interactions with our customers at the coffee shop were typically pretty quick. They, you know, in in the younger days of my career or my tenure working there, uh, it wasn't quite as busy as it might be today. And so I definitely had more time to actually sit and connect with customers. And Ruthie can probably attest to that. Like you develop these relationships with some of your regular customers that, it becomes like really beautiful and meaningful and impactful for your life. Um, But through those experiences of interacting with so many different customers, I just learned that really don't know what people are experiencing. And when somebody maybe throws some sass or some attitude or just a bunch of shit your way, it's your decision whether or not you want to take that shit and carry it around with you for the rest of the day. (laughs) or yes wear it on your face (laughs) or like just kind of deflect and recognize like oh that's their shit that they're throwing at me it's really not mine and it has nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. and I I learned this in a lot of different ways I had had different customers where maybe they were really grumpy oftentimes when they came through and, and kind of short with me as their barista or short with my coworker and snappy and then maybe the next you know like five times after I That first interaction or five interactions later I hear from them that like their wife was cheating on them or Mm -hmm. their you know mother had just passed away after a long battle with cancer or Mm -hmm. their cat just died and had been sick for a long time and and it just opened my eyes to recognizing that I don't really know what people's stories are and I don't really know what's happening in their head but I do know that The things that we're focused on, the thoughts that we have, highly impact the emotions that we have, which really translate into the actions that we take in our life. And so when somebody does something that I might interpret as being rude or scary or really fucking awesome, it's because of their experience. It has nothing to do with me. so. That helped me, I think, with my communication skills with people and and knowing that everybody has their own story and everybody's going through something and it's up to them whether or not they want to share that information with me. And then I get to decide how to respond to it. But really, everybody has this beauty and unique special qualities to them that I love to seek out and find. And mm-hmm. so if there are people that maybe seem really timid or closed off to me, it's not my responsibility or my job to start pushing and prying and trying to get them to open up that will happen naturally over time if it's supposed to and then there's the other individuals that are very open and very magnetic and you're drawn to them and you can have these really amazing connections really quickly and so I think I just learned through so many different human interactions that there's a lot of different approaches to take with people and it's up to you to kind of make the read of what is this person putting out to you Because oftentimes you can sense it within the first 30 seconds, whether or not somebody is open to you and your presence or not so much. And um, I think that's kind of a, it's like a weird spidey sense, right? It's like a radar that maybe I developed through so many customer interactions at a young age. Mm -hmm. Uh, But. I also don't know when I kind of learned that. I'm not quite sure. I can't pinpoint enough like, oh, here's how you really communicate with people. But
4: Mm -hmm. I
3: think it's really important to recognize that nobody is the same. And so some approaches that I have had in my communicating with maybe some of my prior employees, it's up to me to start really reading into like, did what I say land with them? how did they respond? Like I have to read those interactions. Mm -hmm. And if I'm totally blank and I'm just trying to get my point across without actually receiving any information they might be giving back to me, that doesn't make me very good at communication. So I don't know. I feel like it's also something I'm still learning and still developing as time goes on. And as our communication changes like here we are communicating digitally and (laughs) it's so different than what it would be like if we were having a face to face interaction recording the podcast in your bedroom, you know, it would would be so different. But we're Mm -hmm. adapting to it constantly.
2: Yeah. So I'm hearing like receptivity is big, but also um, it seems like not taking things personally and being really strong in your sense of self and knowing like having enough space to let other people have their own experience and also I noticed like um, not like having a forceful attitude um, and <clears throat> and that seems to be paired like with acceptance of like not trying to force things on people and accepting that if they don't want to meet you that they don't but I also kind of imagine and have witnessed as well just because I like have know you um, that when you are not trying to force things on people then that really helps them feel safe and then feel like they want to open up to you and share things with you because you are not trying to, yeah, like, yeah, force anything out of them. I think that makes people feel really comfortable, so.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I, I have learned a long time ago that I'm only in control of my own actions. I can't really control anybody else, even though there have been so many times where I've wanted to control the whole universe. Mm-hmm. If I could, it would be such an amazing world for me, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> But I can't, right? I can only control myself. And and I also mm-hmm. think that I, I do have a lot of self-confidence. I know that I can be embarrassed pretty easily at times. I know that there are things that I don't want to do because it's uncomfortable, but I know that I have the capability to do those things. And so my self-confidence is really high. And it has been for a long time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I've never had insecurities or have Mm -hmm. lacked confidence in my skills at different points in time in my life. But Mm -hmm. my self-confidence is high. And to me, that also translates in my communication with others in that I don't need a response or a reaction from them because I'm okay with where I'm at in my life. And if they're not okay with where they're at in their life, that's the reality that they're in. It's not my reality, it's theirs. And so there is, like, the, that self-confidence component, I think, is a really big piece to communication mm-hmm. and communicating really well. Um, and it's something that I've heard a lot in the last few months, which is exactly what you say, that I hold a safe space for people. And I'm like, well, it's just, literally, it's just holding space. It's just
0: mm-hmm. being there
3: and not trying to force anything and not have an agenda with this person. Yep. Because if I have an agenda and I'm really trying to, like, get something out of you, that just makes me a manipulative human. And I could do that. I mm-hmm. could be that person. Yeah. But... It's really not the way I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Everyone uh, wanted to do what they want to do. I
0: think a lot of these skills were cultivated through working at Dutch Bros. But I can think back to um, being on swim team with you in high school. Again, back when I was a freshman and you were a senior. And there were many other seniors on the swim team. And that was probably the only place that I really even had any interactions with seniors because just like not they just the different classes don't really interact a whole lot and even on the swim team the different classes don't really interact a whole lot but you were always somebody who talked to everybody and it didn't matter if you were a freshman or a sophomore or whatever or like a girl or a boy or whatever like Jonah would just talk to you like a friend and a person Mm -hmm. And that was something that always you stood out from the others because people just don't
3: do that. (laughs) Oh, it's so awesome. You know, that swim team for me was such a cool experience because (laughs) I, if y'all could see me, I'm not a typical swimmer's boy, a (laughs) large man. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it was so out of my comfort zone. But a friend of mine, my junior year of high school, had convinced me to do it. And I love the water. I love being in the water. I love swimming. I I just love it. And, but I had never like, I didn't know how to swim appropriately, how to breathe while swimming. There was just so much Mm -hmm. I didn't
4: know about it.
3: And so I had done it because I was just like, you know what? Screw it. If I hate it, I can just quit. It's no big deal. And I had so much fun. Like everyone that was on the swim team, it was such a mix of different types of people you know in high school there's so many different cliques there's like Mm -hmm. the like nerds and the jocks and the band people and the like there was just so many different cliques and they were there was like a member from each clique that was in swim team and they had more fun than anybody else like i had such a blast on the swim team and got to interact with people that i probably wouldn't have otherwise you know like like you ruthie like we didn't have Mm -hmm. classes together or anything but we did have swim team together and yeah, swim team. <laughs> swim we
2: sw- you guys, I just want you to know that we were all on swim team, yes. um, different swim teams, but here we are. <laughs>
4: Swimmers are cool
2: people. It's say true. It. <laughs> so, so you've mentioned that um, you have a lot of confidence or you've like really worked on your self-confidence, not saying you are like, totally perfect and don't feel insecure sometimes but your your self-confidence is strong And you also mentioned that um that seems to be the general recipe for success in your coaching um like at the beginning mentioned that in order for people to move towards these big dreams of theirs they generally have to work on getting the self-confidence to do it so what are some ways that you have or you might end up coaching people to build their self-confidence?
3: Well, really, I think it starts with learning and starting to get to having the awareness of knowing what is standing in the way of your Mm self-confidence. It's all about digging into some of the thoughts and belief systems that an individual may have that is preventing them from having the confidence within themselves to go after what they want and so to me it's kind of a it's this process of excavation it's like learning what is really preventing a person from putting themselves out there and then starting to understand why why is that thing holding them back and it can be really challenging for people to go through that process of starting to gain this awareness of what is standing in the way from them because There's a lot of painful experiences that people have had where they've learned to protect themselves by not putting themselves out there, by not being the big, bold personality that they maybe at one time were. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And those painful experiences carry with people throughout the rest of their lives. They can. like For me, some of my past experiences that have been really embarrassing or challenging for me, I still have those experiences. They're still a part of my story. doesn't mean that I respond to them the same way that I maybe had once before, but it still is a part of how I got to this point in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing to really do is start to really build this awareness of what is getting in the way from my self-confidence. Why do I not feel self-confident? And I think what you had said earlier is shame and guilt comes up a lot for people. A lot of people that think that what they have done is bad and that they should not have done that, or they should have done something differently. And really anytime there's a should in your Shitting
2: thinking. all over yourself. <laughs> it,
3: leads, it leads to mm-hmm. shame. It leads to you feeling like you were wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's those a great, are great really like, red flag for
2: people. Like if you're trying to figure right? it out, notice when you start telling yourself you should do something, that that's gonna be a good place to investigate.
3: Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's interesting the language that we use, right? When we when yeah. we talk to ourselves in our head, and I don't know that everybody says sentences in their head. I think some people just have images or colors or whatever, but mm-hmm. I oftentimes think in sentences or I'll have a thought that might pop up and I can actually put it, it to words. And when I say something like should, I should have done that. It always makes me feel like shit, mm-hmm. you know? And so our language that we use, I think, can be really valuable. And when we start changing things, to making things seem more like a choice rather than a necessity, mm-hmm. it really is helpful in getting us to a path of taking ownership of the things that we're doing and the thing, the ways that we're feeling and the thoughts that we're having. Love
0: that. Remember, Mr. Davy.
3: I definitely remember Mr. So, <laughs> <Davey.
0: laughs> oh, Mr. Davy was a um, PE teacher in our middle school. Did he teach anything else aside from PE?
3: No, just <laughs> PE.
0: <laughs> He's a his wife was also um, a teacher who taught like history and English and, you know, real topics. But anyways, I learned something very valuable from it subtle
2: dig. And
0: <laughs> it was, um, one day when he had us like, you know, he, we were supposed to do a bunch of things and I was like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, OK, um, I, I don't I, you don't have to do anything you know, you're choosing to do this. And I was like, no, you're making me run these laps. And he was like, nope, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that if you don't run these laps, you go to detention. (laughs) 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 And you're making the choice to not have that consequence by running these laps. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, I,
3: I can't <laughs> say that I ever got any valuable life lessons from this. You're one of the lucky ones, <laughs> <laughs> one of the
2: lucky ones. Well, now, really now more people point, can though, be
3: right? one of the lucky ones who share this on
2: the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's life lessons from Mr. Davey.
3: <laughs> it is a really good point, though. I, I just recently listened to a book called Nonviolent Communication.
2: Oh, that's and, so funny. We were just talking about it.
3: <laughs> uh, it's a great book. It's a really good um, book. And that is a big portion of the book is, is I forget who the author is, but he's Marshall Rosenberg. Yes, thank you he is talking about the language that we're using and how we use this necessity language of saying we have to do this, or we need to do this, and we've got to do that. And Mm -hmm. we should do that. And it really is not true. We always have a choice. And when we start thinking about the actions that we are taking in terms of having a choice, it totally changes our approach, right? Mm -hmm. And when we think like, I I always imagine, I don't have children, but I imagine so many parents that are going through a lot of changes with 2020, especially with so many people doing schooling at home. And I imagine so many parents thinking, I have to make sure my kids are getting their homework done. I have to make sure I have this environment set up for my kids to do class on Zoom, or I need to make sure. And really, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. They really don't have to make sure their kids, they don't have to take care of their kids if they don't want to. It's really just a choice. It's Mm -hmm. they want the best for their kids. They want to take care for their kids. They want their kids to survive and thrive. And when the language shifts to being a choice, often the feeling behind it shifts also. feels a lot more empowered and a lot less victimized. Mm.
2: It's a really good shift from victim to empowerment. Also let's talk about should um reminds me did you guys ever watch the um there was a TED talk by this woman named El Luna and she wrote a book called The Crossroads of Should and Must
3: No I've heard of this book
2: it's, um it's actually it's a really cute book she's an artist so it's it, there's a lot of like illustrations in it but um essentially she was like a graphic designer living like this life that she was doing some creative things for like a startup, but it wasn't like hundred percent like what she wanted to do. She was like happy with it. But um, then she started having these dreams about this room where she would go to it. And then she's like, what do I do? Or I don't, I don't remember she had like, dreams about this room. And then a friend was like, well, why don't you look for it in real life? And so she did. And then she found it on a Craigslist of all places. And went and rented out the room um like rented out this apartment and then was like what am I doing and like sat and it was like what do I do now and then in her head it was like it's time to paint <laughs> but less creepy less creepy more meaningful less creepy um and so <laughs> <laughs> it's time to paint but she um I guess had been a, I think she had been a painter before anyways and she started up her big painting career but her book is all about how the crossroads of what she defines as should and must like should meaning any messages that are given to you from like the outside world, like things where you need to feel like you have to perform for your parents or your friends or society or whatever. And must being your like heart centered soul stuff that like you really want for you. And then, yeah. Anyways. So the book, as you can imagine, is about choosing
3: mm. you must do. Yeah. It's like the difference of having external approval versus, Mm-hmm. eternal satisfaction right like doing something for your own pleasure or your own growth doing it for you versus doing it for every everything else mm-hmm. the big difference it
2: is yeah like the victim to empowered conscious creator huge difference and yeah from like external to like internal really big difference too
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah actually my um my life coach when we were working together um who i'd love to get on this podcast also but um something that she shared with me that i I think is really helpful especially for our you know any millennial listeners is like when you're starting your day if you immediately start the day by getting on your phone and scrolling through whatever you're scrolling through you're immediately putting your focus externally um whereas if you were to start your day like meditating or doing yoga or wherever you know when you're going inwards and instead of being like what's going on in the outside world that i'm going to react to today and then being like what what do i want to bring to today what do i want to create out of today and then taking that from inside of you and powerfully
3: creating it in the world it's a good one yeah it's definitely a lot more of a conscious way of living your life right
0: mm-hmm speaking yeah. of ways to start the day i have been and this is when i say i've been doing this i've only been doing this for about a week but i've been doing it it consistently for about a week where i've been writing three pages every morning Mm. and my journaling practice that i've done every like for the last several several years has been i've been i type it out and, and I don't do it every day and I don't have like, you know, I just kind of sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long. And it's almost more like a, a log of what I've done the past few days, sometimes more so than like a rawness of mm. my, uh, my thought stream in the moment. And so I've really been trying to, I've taken some of your tips just that I've learned from your Instagram.
4: <laughs> and- nice
0: and and I've tried to create this practice just to see I mean like kind of see if there's anything to it and I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know that there's something to it I just want to like see what's in it for me
2: <laughs> what's in it for me <laughs> Yeah, you'll find out Ruthie the morning pages I know is
0: I know it's <laughs> yeah. like, like, not working <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> but you I plan on um, taking your your webinar that you're doing soon, so I can learn more about this tool.
3: Awesome, awesome, yeah, that's coming up in just a few days.
0: Yeah, some details? I think it'll it'll there? have been passed by the time that this um, this loads, oh, but maybe we'll do a you know a follow up interview with you at some point down the road, and we can talk about it some more. Totally. But maybe you just give us, you know, give our listeners some tips right now. Yeah. uh,
3: Sure. I'd love to. Well, the morning pages is amazing and it's definitely a practice that I highly recommend. I will say I don't consistently write out morning pages every single day. I'm not that strict about it. However, most days out of the week I do. And I really love that practice because I look at it as a clearing exercise for myself. It's a way Mm -hmm. for me to just get everything happening in my head out on paper and allow it to release from my consciousness, allow it to just like get out of this like spiraling whirlpool of thoughts that are happening so i love it for that reason uh there are a lot of different ways of journaling there's a lot of different methods and that's what my webinar coming up is going to be focused on but my favorite style of journaling is just stream of consciousness journaling and that's really what the morning pages is so props to you for doing it consistently for the last week i really think there's a lot of benefit in it Uh, but it, that's not the only way, right? There's, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of different methods of journaling and and you really just listed off another one earlier, what you type into your computer uh, of just like a log of what yeah. has happened and what's been going on. It's kind of a cool way to keep track of your life and also really help you remember things. It's really helpful yeah, for absolutely.
4: boosting your memory. Yep. Um,
3: journaling, I think, is such a healthy, beneficial way to express yourself. And I think so many people are afraid that they're gonna do it wrong, afraid that somebody's gonna read what they wrote, Mm -hmm. not really sure how to start, don't really think they've got the time for it. There's a lot of excuses why people don't do it. But if you talk to somebody that's an avid journaler, they are like all about it. They have to journal, it's their Mm -hmm. thing. And I think that it's so helpful And the reason so many of those people love it so much is because it's, it's an outlet for them to get their crazy out, get their fun out, get their ideas out. It's just a way for you to express. And a lot of people hold themselves back from their own self-expression in a lot of different ways. Maybe they're afraid to dance. Maybe they're afraid to sing. Maybe they want to wear specific clothes because they don't want to be looking too funky or too crazy. But journaling is the perfect way for you to get everything out into the universe instead of keeping it in your brain. And so I just think it's such a cool, amazing, beneficial tool for your mental health in general. Um, But there's also a lot of different ways to journal where you have other really cool benefits, memory retention, like I mentioned, stress relief, um, really helping to uh, learn how to lucid dream. I know dream journaling is a big one. I was
2: just about to mention
3: that. <laughs> yeah, so There's a lot of really cool ways to go about it. Right now, I, I offer people, when they sign up for my newsletter, a more in-depth explanation of the morning pages, which I adopted from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, which is all about your creative expression through writing. Um, and so, I offer a, a short video to people signing up for my newsletter that explains those morning pages a little bit better and, and really how to go about it and how to approach it. But I think that is such an amazing way to get your day started, especially when we are in this kind of societal norm of checking the phone right away. Mm-hmm. And I really love what you had said, Lisa, that that's just kind of a, a way for us to kind of program or condition ourselves to figure out what we're going to react to today versus yeah. how we want to. Respond to what's going on within ourselves internally um, it's, it's so spot-on so I think the morning pages is such a great way for us to Express the things that are happening within our consciousness get it out on paper clear some of those things But also there's some profound stuff that comes out of my brain when I sit down in the morning and write things down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like a really cool idea for what I could do with my business or what I could do with my wife. Sometimes it's this profound belief that I have about myself that I didn't even really know I had. So sometimes there's some really golden nuggets that come out from pen to paper. But, you know, there's also a lot of days where I'm sitting down writing like, I'm so tired and I don't know what to write and I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write right now gosh i want some coffee you know it can be mm. really petty also so it's yeah. not always just like this magical glittery unicorn idea that comes out on paper sometimes it's pretty petty yeah. but when i get my pettiness out first thing in the morning i don't really have to be petty for the rest of the day i can just
0: get around with you all day
3: yeah exactly yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i've had i can attest that like when i am journaling consistently I feel really like it's just like a little bit of like therapy that you can do for yourself to where whenever you start to talk to people, there's like a little bit less things that you're necessarily like bringing to them, or it's like just more organized in, in my experience. But also I've had some really profound um, like dream realizations where like when I wake up, my like, hmm, dream is kind of weird. And then I'll just start to, write it down. And initially, like when I'm thinking about it, it didn't really seem like it was anything, um, no, like to write home about if you will. But, um, (laughs) but then when I'm writing it down, it'll be like a phrase from the dream. Like there was some phrase, um, from a dream the other night that I wrote it down and it was like, I, I thought I intuitively, I was like, I think this is about social media, but it was like the more that you feed it, the, the bigger the illusion that you need it. And I was like, like, anyway, so there'll just be these like statements where I just feel like, like something is talking to me and that something could just be like my subconscious or maybe something else. I don't know, but where the statement like comes through and in the context of the dream, it may not be related at all to my life, but whenever I like hear the statement and then usually once I write it down, I'm like, damn, okay actually that yeah. makes a lot of sense that really clears some things up for me um so anyways you yeah. never know you never know what kind of wisdom your brain might have when you're uh journaling <laughs>
0: <Totally>. <laughs> yeah sure don't
2: Hmm. yeah actually there's um there was a guy that was on I don't know, tim ferris's it was like one of tim ferris's first podcast guests that um I'm trying to remember his name. He was like the chess guy, but he he ends up helping people with their intuition. And one practice that, excuse me, he recommended um, for getting more connected with your intuition. Like he coaches like um, CEOs and people in a variety of areas of life where they might need to uh, assess risks. Like basically everyone can benefit from this. Um, but of like whenever you stop your workday. So he recommends like stopping it promptly when you decide it's going to end. So if that's at five or whatever, you end it and then you pose a question to yourself, but to your subconscious. And then so maybe like, how am I going to optimize this? And then then you don't think about it for the rest of the day. Um, And then the first thing when you wake up, because he believes like the liminal space, like when you're in your dream state and your subconscious, that's accessing a lot more information that's inside of your body where your are like conscious awareness is only, you know, like the tip of the iceberg. Um, but so then re like referencing the question that you asked yourself at the end of the previous workday and just journaling about it first thing in the morning. And I did this um, at one point when I was trying to decide, I had like a big like confusion point when I was um, working on accepting that I wanted to be a professional artist as I felt like I should, I should maybe be like a physical therapist because i have skills there and i'm like interested in that or maybe i should do advertising because i have a degree in that and you know all these things make so much sense logically of why i should do them um but but i ended up um doing like a few different life coaching like um exercises but a big one yeah i can't remember the question that i asked but it was something about choosing those things And then, first thing in the morning, I journaled about it, and the answer was very clear. And it was that I'm an artist and that's my thing. So here we are. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that like early morning liminal connection to like your subconscious, I think it can be like really magical and adding a little bit more intention to it. Like, who
3: knows what kind of
2: deep truths you could access.
3: Yeah, I feel like I have a lot to learn in that realm of understanding how our brains work with the different brave brain wavelengths that we're in, whether we're mm-hmm. in like beta or theta or delta um, brain wavelengths. But there yeah. is a lot to be said about when we are able to kind of slow our brains down from, like you said, the consciousness is like our conscious thoughts are the tip of the iceberg. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other things happening within this magical machine in our head. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I've got a lot to learn in that. I love um, Joe all. Dispenza's work, I love reading some of Joe Dispenza's books, and mm-hmm. I feel like every time I've reread You Are the Placebo, and, and each time I've read it, I'm like, mm-hmm. what? It, I just take something else out of it every time. Uh, like that there's kind of a that nice. lot that we can create for ourselves when we are in these different uh, states. Well, of
1: actually, life. for people that
2: aren't familiar, um, could you explain like your cliff notes of Joe Dispenza's perspective?
3: Wow. Uh, (laughs) or what
2: what you've got out of it like what was I can try
3: yeah Joe Dispenza has a really interesting story he was a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and he was running a marathon or doing a triathlon or something like that down in San Diego and was hit by a car and his back was just shattered destroyed his spine was just so messed up and he had so much knowledge about the spine being a chiropractor. He ended up going to the hospital, obviously. He was seen by different doctors and he was told he needed all of these different surgeries, getting like rods, holding his spine back together. And he decided not to do it. And he was like, nope, I'm not having that surgery. He understood the implications of having that surgery and, and what it meant for the rest of his life. Instead, he traveled somewhere else in Southern California, stayed with a friend at like their beach house, and for three months sat and meditated every single day for multiple hours a day, and was literally just imagining and visualizing what his healthy spine would look like. Knowing all the knowledge that he had about the spine and how it functions as a chiropractor, he could visualize what a healthy spine was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to function. And I believe he says in that book, you are the placebo that it took about 60 days or maybe 90 days before he could actually go through and visualize each vertebrae without remembering his accident and that his spine was completely shattered. It took him like a couple of months to actually get to a point where he could visualize his spine being healthy and exactly how it was supposed to look before he had had this horrific accident. And through this practice of meditation and really obviously taking it easy because he had had this massive injury, uh, and I'm sure he had some other you know physical therapy exercises that he was aware of or that he had had help learning how to do, but he healed his spine completely without having any surgeries and through this process of visualization and meditation and dropping into these lower brainwave states, he was able to heal himself. So Joe Dispenza teaches a lot of meditation through different live workshops and retreats. Um, I have not been to one, but I know one of my coaches, Caitlin Howe, in the Fit for Service community has been to a Joe Dispenza retreat in Cancun, Mexico, I believe last year. And Mm -hmm. she said she's never meditated more in her life. It was just like six days of just like meditating for hours and hours and hours a day. But there's a lot of processes that he goes through. And I know in that book that I had mentioned, he's actually at these retreats, actually recording people's electromagnetic fields and doing scans of their brains while they're in these different meditative states and can actually show you how some of the science behind this meditation can actually Mm -hmm. be proven to... Kind of showcase that the quantum field is very real and we're able to create a lot with our minds. We're really creating our whole reality with the things that we're thinking about. And oftentimes when we are in this you know, active conscious thinking state, our, our brain is just so active. It's firing, firing, firing. I believe the statistic is that humans have over 60,000 thoughts a day. And obviously, we're not totally aware or conscious to all of those thoughts that our brain is having, but thankfully so, because that would be exhausting. Yes. But our brain is <laughs> constantly firing. So when we can slow our brain down and really focus and, and train our brain to be thinking about the things that we're trying to manifest for ourselves in our life,
0: mm-hmm. we actually
3: start to create that within our body. Epigenetics is a topic that is... Discussed in his work where we essentially are changing our genetic makeup through the things that we're thinking about. Mm. Um, but that's, uh, there's so much to his work and there's so much to, uh, to relearn for myself. It's, it's hard for me to actually like go deep into it because I'm like, there's so much science behind it that I uh, can't necessarily remember it this time. Mm-hmm. But like I said, when, I re- re- when I've reread that book, yeah. I'm always blown away. I take a different nugget out of it. And um, I just think his work is so fascinating and also so very real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I went on
3: my,
2: um, like, ayahuasca retreat, I had met a woman who just came back from a Joe Dispenza retreat. And she kind of echoed what your friend had said, that it was, like, really powerful. And she had meditated so much and gone really deep. And she felt like he was able to bridge um like, the gap with, like, scientific explanation for a lot of this stuff. Like, sometimes when you get into, like, spiritual practices, you know, can be, like, really, really, like, woo-woo out there, which is cool. And, I, you know, I'm done with that. But I also like that he is kind of – yeah, his work seems – it seeks in my – from my perspective is seeking to kind of bridge that understanding of, like, yeah, quantum physics and manifestation. And as I understand – though I haven't read his book. I've listened to, like um, – he's got a series on Gaia – that I listen to, and then um, I've done not his meditation because his meditation voice stresses me out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was telling you about this earlier, Jenna. You did, tell me. yeah. I don't, his voice is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna do it really bad. I'm sorry, this, I'm gonna, like going deep. I'm like, whoa, God, why are you yelling? Like the way that his voice is, it <laughs> just like really. <laughs> Jars me, but but I talked to a friend who was like, "Well, this is actually all intentional. So you step outside of the idea of Joe Dispenza, and you're stepping into the voice. And like, okay, from an intellectual standpoint, that makes sense. Maybe I can open up to it <laughs> one day, but
0: um <laughs> uh, we're just not deep enough.
2: No, it's just some some people's voice. It's like I I love a like like." everybody like soft gentle like let's drop into our bodies but but the idea for his is about like like almost like dissociating from reality as i understand it and going into like the void of like you not existing and again this is my understanding of it which may not be totally what he's intending so who knows um yeah is like when you are not connected to like an attached To like you in this physical reality and everything that's happening here, you're going to this quantum space that's outside of, you know, you and your identity and what's happening. You can bring in the thoughts and emotions, or mostly emotions, I think, is the idea that you're wanting to manifest in this quantum field, and then you can bring them into your reality. But it's harder to bring them into your reality when you're like identified with your reality.
3: Yeah, you know, I haven't really done much of Joda Dispenza's meditations. I've, I've done one mm-hmm. that is on YouTube, and it, that's literally the mm-hmm. only one. And it kind of took me into a whole nother place. But um, I've I've talked to different people that are really uh, avid Joda Dispenza mm-hmm. meditators. They do a lot of his meditations specifically. And it seems like some of his protocols may be a bit rigid also, I, I mm-hmm. believe. And I might be wrong um, because, again, I've only done the one meditation. Right. We're amateur Joe
2: Dispenza people.
3: Yeah, totally. (laughs) I think he uh, has some suggestions of like meditating at like super early hours of the morning, like 4.30 in the morning Mm -hmm. um, before the sun rises and doing like an hour and a half or an hour of deep meditation at specific times where Mm -hmm. our circadian rhythm might be like, you know, that might be right around the time where we're starting to go through like ending some of our our sleep cycles and leaning more towards this part of our day where we start to wake up. It's, I think, really targeted or designed to be focusing on you when your brain is in certain states. Um, But again, I'm not really sure. Uh, That idea of it being rigid doesn't necessarily appeal as much to me because I very much love being a free bird and just kind of Mm -hmm. doing what feels right and kind of doing what I intuitively want to do. Um, but, but i like i said i'm fascinated by his work i think it's
2: mm-hmm. really amazing yeah yeah and i think you know the obvious truth here is like you know take what you what's helpful to you leave the rest and there's oh, yeah. obviously a lot there that can be super helpful i certainly would like to delve deeper but yeah yeah there's like some parts of my like lifestyle and schedule that are just like intuitive and they're going to stay that way so <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, too much rigidity is a no.
0: No. Mm -mm. Well, Jonah, how has the pandemic affected your life?
3: Woo! Loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been really interesting. I found myself, you know, as things were really seriously starting to shut down in the U.S., found myself... Um, wanting to pay attention to everything that was happening. So I was really glued to my phone. I was like checking all the social medias. I was reading through every article in the news app on my iPhone. And I found myself having a very hard time discerning what information I should be taking in and what I should not. And that lasted for about a week. So that was a really challenge, a really big challenge for me because Mm -hmm. it was like constant um input of really just terrible information. Yeah. I didn't like I learned anything other than there was a lot of fear and a lot of unknown and a lot
0: work. Wait, no, they don't work. Wait, no, actually we maybe they do. We're not too sure. We'll get back to you. It, See it
3: soon. Was confusing. It was like what? Should I like is there something I really need to be paying attention to, or is this just a bunch of mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. and so i um it took me a while, like I said, about a week before I was like, "All right, time to put the phone down. I need to get back to my routines and Brittany and I had talked about a lot of what was happening, and really the way we perceived things uh happening around the world was that this was a the great slowdown this was an mm-hmm. opportunity for us and everybody to slow down, stop doing all the things that we're doing. And with that opportunity of, with that slowing, there comes an opportunity to dive within and do our own internal work and allow some of the things that are hiding within our shadows to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. And it was a really beautiful time for both Brittany and I, I believe. Um, I. We are typically on the go a lot we travel we bounce around I mean usually the summer we would have been at a handful of music festivals probably gone to Burning Man like we would have been doing all the things and it would have been amazing and fun and beautiful but there was not the opportunity to do so anymore so it really caused Brittany and I both to dive within a bit more get creative on how we wanted to spend our time and how we wanted to what we wanted to focus on and with that man britney really busted out a lot of work she created a couple different ebooks she put together our welcome home staycation retreat that she had had in the books and in in like her in her banks since last june Mm
0: -hmm. so it was
3: like stuff content that she had already been wanting to put together that just hadn't really provided herself the time to do so it gave us that opportunity to really focus on that i got to dive into Really what I wanted to focus on was my coaching practice and start building my business from there. I really got to focus a lot on reading. I got to focus a lot on the different communities that I am involved with that are outside of the town that I live in. For example, the fit for service community that we've mentioned a couple of times, Mm -hmm. um, really connecting and trying to have involvement in my own personal growth with this other collective of people. And there were challenges with that. Everything being online is not my cup of tea. I really love face to face. I love touch. I love feeling somebody's laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's difficult for me through a computer screen, but I never felt lonely and I never felt, I, I, although we were isolating, I didn't feel like I was isolated. Um, And through that experience, I actually got to watch the seasons change on my property at my house in Oregon and saw the trees go from winter to spring to summer. Like I've never gotten to actually witness oak leaves bud and bloom out. Like I got to watch these leaves broaden every single day from my Mm. back patio. And it was just so beautiful to really have that opportunity to slow down and observe what was really happening in my own backyard. I saw things on my property I've never seen before. And there was a lot of really special moments in that. So I've handled this pandemic with uh, a bit of panic in the beginning, a bit of um, confusion and not really knowing what I need to do or what I need to pay attention to. A difficult time discerning what was really important for me to spend my energy on into a place of gratitude for my home, my relationships, my health, mm. all of the experiences that I'd have had leading up to the pandemic. And, oh, wow. Sorry, guys. A bird just hit my window. It was crazy.
2: It's kind of crazy.
3: It's coming right <laughs> for me.
2: Yep. These are the types uh, of experiences you get to witness at home. Yeah, everyone. Right.
3: right. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I got to move into this place of gratitude and and creativity and Connection in a way that I didn't necessarily anticipate. Mm. I uh, I feel like this isn't going to go away for a while. Yeah, We have hit this pace with, I feel like as a nation, with trying to go back to how things were. And there's a lot of tension because of that. And I am at peace with things never being the same they were ever again. One of the things that I really took from this experience was that People do not know how to handle uncertainty. (laughs) They're uncertain, people lose it. Yeah. And the thing that I really realized that was so true to me a couple weeks in was that our lives have always been uncertain. Our lives will always be uncertain because we have no idea what's coming, we can't predict it. And Because of that, it gives me a bit of comfort in knowing that life has always been this way. The pandemic was always a possibility. Mm -hmm. You know, government shutdowns, people being homeschooled, (laughs) <laughs> no toilet paper in any grocery stores, like Those were always possibilities.
4: <laughs> yep. yeah. And
3: there are also possibilities again in the future. And so mm-hmm. knowing that I've gone through different experiences in my life that felt so uncertain and so confusing and, and witnessing a lot of the emotion that came up because of the way I was thinking about the uncertainty gave me this practice in it that makes me feel a bit of comfort in uncertainty now. I feel like it's been very traumatic. For a lot of people. Yeah. And there's more traumas to come, but that's a part of the human condition. That's a part of our experience here on Earth is that we have a lot of beautiful moments and we have a lot of really painful moments as well. And that's a whole a a big part of the spectrum of emotions we're supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. I learned that everyone wants to just be happy. And that's not really true right? Like there's so many things that happen within our lives that we don't really want to feel happy about. And I can think of so many examples, but this pandemic might be one of them for a lot of people. I certainly don't want to feel happy about it, but that is because I'm supposed to have pain in my life. I'm supposed to have discomfort in my life. I'm supposed to have uncertainty in my life. And so I, I feel like I have this experience with uncertainty now that I'm able to appreciate it a lot more than I ever did before.
2: Beautiful. So you heard it here. Stability, certainty. It's all an illusion. So you might it's as well just do whatever the fuck that you feel like you're here to do as long as you're not hurting people. <laughs> what a yep. Yeah. Got, it. Got a dream. Well, there's really, you know, things are weird. Well, why not just go ahead and do it? <laughs> Jonah right? can help you. Jonah's <laughs> happy to help support you and bring your crazy dreams to life because right. any, anything is possible for better or for worse. So
3: right, know,
2: let's harness right. that to, yeah, seize the moment.
3: <laughs> totally. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that now is an opportunity for all of us after we've gone through, you know, the last, gosh, I don't even, it's been like six months, longer.
2: Yeah, it's fall now. Uh,
3: having had this time and seeing and observing all of the different changes that we've got to experience as a society, there's a lot of opportunity for all of us within this Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. For some of us, it's opportunity in career. For some of us, it's opportunity in relationship. For some of us, it's opportunity in health and overall wellness. So when we have these crazy, big, impactful changes, There's a lot of changes in that that feel really terrible, but there's also the opportunity for the complete opposite. There's a lot of opportunity for the other end of the spectrum to be a part of the experience. So
2: true. And that looks
3: different for all of us.
2: Sure does. Yep. But the only way to find out is to do it! (laughs) Do (laughs) it! Do it!
3: Nice. Uh. <laughs> yeah i mean right now we all have the opportunity to let our bullshit come to the surface so we can address it and let's just mm-hmm. let's just see our bullshit for what it is Fair we can enough. address it we can process it and then we can like mm-hmm. just move forward how we want to yeah i love that
2: i love that yeah because i think uh. bullshit coming to the surface is inevitable
0: at the beginning of the podcast, you kind of mentioned you're like life is good, but they know it could be so much better. I'm referring to kind of some of the people that you're life coaching. Mm-hmm. So, what are what are some tips that you could give, like general basic? I and mean, you've kind of we've kind of already gone over self confidence mm-hmm. is. A mm-hmm. cornerstone of this. But what are some tips you can give just to some people who are maybe dealing with some self confidence issues that are listening to this podcast?
3: Yeah. Number one, breathe. Mm-hmm. Just take some deep breaths and reconnect with yourself physically, right? So often we get in our heads and we take ourselves out of our physical body. And when we can just take some deep breaths, come back into our bodies and slow down a little bit, we then have an opportunity to refocus. Uh, So breathe is just such a big one to me. And that helps. I can't think of a thing breathing doesn't do that's good for us. Uh, I also think another tip for your self-confidence is start to gain some awareness of the things you're thinking. Mm. Start to become aware of the sentences you're saying to yourself and also start having some awareness of the situation and the circumstances that you're in and be able to separate out the facts of whatever you're going through versus the opinions you might have about it. Mm. Having the awareness of knowing what's factual in this situation versus what is my story about it is very impactful because that gives you then this chance to actually notice This is what's real, and this is what I'm creating about it. This is what I'm making it mean. Mm -hmm. So awareness of your thinking, awareness of the facts of whatever situation you're going through, and knowing what some of your beliefs are, I think, is a big one. And this is something that not everybody uh, is quite aware of at all times. A lot of us have belief systems that we are unaware of, But if you have a belief that you are conscious of that you know is serving you and is really empowering to you, lean on that belief. I have a belief that everything is happening exactly as it's supposed to. So when something happens in my life that makes me feel uncomfortable or makes me maybe feel a little insecure, I lean back on my belief that this is happening exactly as it should be.
4: Yep. So that
3: must mean that it's perfect as it is and I don't need to struggle to try to change it. I don't need to struggle to try to hide from it. I can just be here with it and it's okay. Yeah. So if you have a belief system or a belief that feels empowering to you and, and actually serves you, you can lean on that in those times when you're not feeling very confident in yourself or even confident in the situation. For me, a lot of my experience in the past of not feeling confident comes from embarrassment. And I really don't like being embarrassed and it happens, but I also now understand that I create that embarrassment for myself and I'm totally okay with being embarrassed. If embarrassment is the worst thing that happens to me, life's pretty good, (laughs) Right. And I've done plenty of things in my life to embarrass myself. I'm going to do a lot more in the future that's going to be really embarrassing too.
2: But, <laughs> Can't wait. But that's
3: where a lot of my, <laughs> you know, experience in the past where I've lacked self-confidence. It has come from not wanting to be embarrassed.
4: Mm-hmm. If I can
3: become okay with that and know like it's just a feeling and I'm creating that feeling myself, nobody's like forcing embarrassment on me. It's me. Mm-hmm. Then I can get past it. I can push through.
2: Also, I think like diffusing it with humor too, of like, if you're able to like zoom out of just you in this moment being embarrassed and being like, this is hilarious. And, oh <laughs> like oh I've heard of, um, I've heard it phrased as like type one fun is fun in the moment when you're doing the thing and type two fun is fun after it happens when you're like telling a story about it. Yeah. The reflection.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Trying to turn a type two fun into a type one fun by just, laughing at yourself, being embarrassed or doing the silly thing.
3: (laughs) That's the best. Yeah, I think those three, though, those are like the three top tips that I've really got for improving your self-confidence. Number one, breathe. Get out of your Mm -hmm. head. Get back into your body. Slow down. Number two, gain some awareness of the things that you're saying. Gain some awareness of your thoughts and the situation. And number three, lean on a belief that you've got that is really empowering for you.
4: I and, you know,
3: some people might not have that and that's okay. We can work together to discover what beliefs you actually do have
4: yeah. to
3: feel empowered or feel good about yourself or start creating some bridge work to get to a point where you do have belief systems around mm-hmm. your self-confidence, around the way you think about yourself that makes you feel really great.
0: I'm going to make a little Instagram tile with these tips on it because I think that this right. is a good... A nice Instagrammable moment. Jonah's top three tips for self-confidence. Yes. So
2: good. Yes. Instagram's gonna go crazy for these. (laughs) (laughs) Also on the topic of breathing, I've been doing um, more extended um, Wim Hof breathing. Like there's a, um, someone made like a free thing on YouTube where it's like 25 minutes of it. And I've started to get to the point where things are getting like a little bit trippy at the end. Like it's like a little psychedelic in the breath space. Anyways, I think Ruthie, we talked about this in a previous podcast about how that's possible and I'm just here to check back in and say it's happening.
3: It's really powerful. When you oxygenate your blood in that way, there's Mm -hmm. some some amazing things the human body does.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready to go deep. Yeah,
3: we're here for it. Yes.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, Jonah, what's the, what are the best places for people to follow and support you and work with you on the internet? Sure.
3: Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Um, It's just at Jonah Borsma on Instagram. My name is spelled spelled J-O-N-A-H-B-O-E-R-S-M-A. So you can follow me at Jonah Borsma on Instagram. My Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Jonah Borsma. And you could also check out my website, www.JonahBoersma.com. Uh, if you'd like, I mentioned before, you could sign up for my newsletter. I'll send you that free video where I go into a little bit of a deeper dive on the morning pages, which I believe is just one of the most beneficial morning practices. And there's other fun, cool activities coming in the future. Like we mentioned earlier, Ruthie, that Ruthie mentioned the journaling webcast I'm about to do. I'll be sure to be publishing that on my website eventually as well, along with other webinars and workshops in the future to come. There's going to be other opportunities in the future for joining my wife and I on retreat with Zen Wellness. Hopefully in 2021, we'll be going back to Nicaragua again, which is just such a beautiful place to experience yoga wellness and just overall healing so um there's there's big things coming in the future so i'd love to have you and anybody in the audience joining us and being a part of the growth and the experience together
2: lovely yes yes well can't wait to see what else you're coming up with and yeah retreat would be
3: oh man so good just
2: test run for the for the commune (laughs) (laughs)
3: alternative
0: Uh, space
3: (laughs) yes
2: i like it i like it a lot well thank you so much jonah this was really awesome
0: yes thank thank you you so much My, my, my freshman freshman like girl just never knew that you know the guy doing the pep rally was going to be my podcast guest many years later. Who would have thought?
3: Here we are. Here we are. And yeah. gosh, there's so much other history between all three of us, really. Like, gosh, mm-hmm. so many stories to tell. I Future know. Part, uh,
4: yeah. I, yeah, season yeah. two.
3: We got to return to this in season two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well,
2: thanks
0: again, Jonah. We really appreciate you. And
1: uh,
3: Likewise. Likewise. My pleasure. And thank you. Stoked to be here.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We are really grateful to you all for taking the time. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Like and comment and share with anyone who you think might benefit from this. And if you have any questions or you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at creative life hackers you could shoot us an email at creativelifehackers at gmail.com or come to our website creativelifehackers.com our intro and outro is by joseph mcdade you can find at josephmcdade.com.